I was kind of at home and telling him, come on, take it seriously. This is going to not go away. Because most people had a feeling, oh, it's going to last. It's not going to explode like it did. But from here, on the road especially, you're not kind of in touch with news. So I was kind of telling him, you should come home. And uh, I think it took them, they were kind of on the road and things started to get cancelled as they were driving and they ran out of road, basically. <laughs> I'm trying to kind of put myself in that place of, I mean, I guess it would have probably been maybe March 2020 of where we were and, and how seriously we're taking it. And, and I guess you really got the first wave before we did, you know? It- yeah, it suddenly felt very serious. It suddenly felt serious. And I have an overactive imagination and tend to, to have anxiety and paranoia a bit. So I sort of imagined what could be, what end up being reality, which is it's not going to go away. I even remember being with a friend and say, our lives changed probably forever now. And that was before why I came back home. So I'm a fairly anxious person as well. And I feel like 80% of the time that is a bad quality, but you know, every once in a while, a little extra paranoia, you, you, you end up getting it right. <laughs> totally agree. I mean, yeah, definitely. I don't know if I, if I had a choice to take my anxiety away. So if I would choose it, because it is useful in some cases. <laughs> they do have some pills for that now. So you, so you do have the option, but <laughs> you can turn it on and off. <laughs> Not exactly. You can tamp it down a little bit, but you know, this is something that I think about quite a bit as well, you know, when it comes to anxiety or depression. And obviously a lot of people have been dealing with, you know, I, I've certainly dealt with some depression over the last few years is, is medication and, you know, and, and how much, how much that sort of changes this thing that's fundamentally you. And it does it have a price taking something that kind of uh, makes it better, but maybe it takes away other things. I don't know. <laughs> How have the two of you been faring for these past two years? So, I mean, as soon as Colin came back from the States and suddenly there was like one big lockdown, it felt amazing. It was kind of around May, everything stopped. And in some ways I like the intensity of having to almost like a survival instinct on one hand and complete calm in terms of noise and what's going on around you. So the weather was beautiful. We live somewhere very nice, so we could walk 10 minutes. We are like almost countryside. So the quality was amazing. I quite liked it, I must say, although I was very paranoid and nobody knew how careful you should be and what way it might you can catch it, if you know what I mean. Now we know much more about it. So but I quite like that mixture of survival, having to survive. So it's very basic. You have to do very little. Shopping was like, wow, we did the shopping. <laughs> you know, those little things that seemed so long ago. But And then you get reality and things become unequal. So I like the way the world was equal. We were all in the same boat, if you know what I mean. And then some countries started to, you know, change and open up and here was still lockdown or the other way around. And some places had gigs and others didn't. And it suddenly felt unequal and I liked it less. And you start to compare who's got more vaccine and all this kind of nonsense. But 
So it's kind of up and down. I'm sure it's true for a lot of people that the experience was very mixed. Yeah, I find when I discuss this with people and those people who actually did have, I don't want to say a good pandemic, but who did enjoy certain aspects of it tend to be quiet. Their voice is lower when they talk about the things that they that they did appreciate about it. Yeah. You know, because obviously there's so much suffering going on, but certainly of course for a lot of artists that I talk to, there's an opportunity to you perhaps do projects that you've been putting off for a long time because suddenly you've just got all this time on your hands. Totally. And reevaluate uh, you know, where you are, where you're going. I mean, I had some difficulties because my mom was in a hospital and passed away and I couldn't go. And that was very hard. The mixture of guilt and just wanting to be there. But yeah, in terms of being together with Colin and being able to do stuff and just slowing down and accepting this is how it is now. It's quite good. Did you find that it was a fruitful period for you creatively? Uh, definitely. I mean, we started a radio show, which was something, A, I wasn't sure I want to do because I'm, you know, I don't feel totally comfortable talking sort of on the radio. I don't like formality. But I discovered, we discovered an amazing effect of how much amazing music is out there and how we are music fans and how listening to other people's music and loving it affects of you as a musician and your creativity. And because when you make music for years and years, you lose touch with other people's music. And that was, that's great. And it's been a hundred shows. Today, there was broadcast of the 101 show. So we didn't expect to go on so long, but we enjoyed so much. We just kept going. So and that happened by chance. We bumped into someone in the street that we know, and he's got the radio station, or he runs it, or he's behind it. And kind of from there, it just happened. And we had the space to do it. So, yeah, because it takes a long time to put it together, because we take it quite seriously. It's interesting to hear you say that there's a way in which, through being a musician, that you tend to lose track of other people's music. Um you know, I, I guess that sort of runs counter to what I would expect in that I think most people as they get older tend to lose track of or not be as invested in new music. But if you're a musician, there, there's, you know, you, you, you are out there and you are interacting with, with other bands. Yeah, I mean, it's harder nowadays anyway for people to know what's, what's there and what to, what's good. So we feel like we are a filter for some people. We filter the good stuff, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> And yeah, it's it's amazing how much good music is out there. But you have to really look and there's a lot of not very good music. So you kind of listen and listen and you become very quick and at choosing and knowing what's good and where to look. And it's kind of exciting. I mean, I'm a collector so and I'm obsessive. So I tend to kind of <laughs> get into a role of looking and finding. And that's really fun, actually. So you were, I mean... You you were pretty actively seeking out new music prior to having a radio show. This is just sort of a, a, a good outlet for it. Yes and no, but where, I mean, if you don't kind of really look for it like we do now, you kind of hear what's what's the, the radio station you listen to or the, the music magazine. The problem is that most of them just go for the obvious and 
the more I do it, or we do it, the more we see how shallow some of it is, and you don't some st- some music doesn't get exposed. So you have to look and find like almost little treasures, and so it's kind of fascinating. So before, yeah, we were aware of music quite a lot, but now much, much more and more different styles, which I didn't even know I appreciated before. So yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I read a statistic recently, I think from Spotify, that something like 80% of streams on the service are more than, I think, two years old, that that most people are listening to a lot of these kind of legacy catalogs. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I wonder how much of that is just people looking for something comfortable and familiar. Yeah, I don't know how it works. I mean, what is taste and what is, I don't know. But I think even younger people, I mean... They don't, they seem to sort of go for obvious, some of them. And you either go for completely new, I don't even know how it works. <laughs> it's kind of fascinating. It's a mixture, it's a bit sad that, you know, people become comfortable with what's kind of offered rather than you have to be passionate, I guess. And most people like music in a general kind of way. I think that's right. And, and I, th- I think there's a way in which music has kind of taken on this this ambient quality that maybe it didn't really have before, where we're constantly surrounded by it every time we go into a store or a coffee shop, where it's almost... It's like um, background sort of thing, yeah. yeah. Where maybe it's not special the way it used to be. Well, that's for sure. But I don't want to sound like an old person, like, oh, in my days, you know... When I bought an album, I was like, wow, I listened to it again and again. And now it's like, but my attention span is very short now because you're exposed to so much stuff. But because of the radio show, suddenly there's a reason. And if you really care because you're playing it to people, you make sure you find stuff and you, you find good stuff. So it changed the way we listen to music. Which is great. My old man rant is going out and spending however much it was, even in like the nineties, it was seventeen dollars to buy a to buy a CD. The you're going to be invested in that product in a way that you won't necessarily be if it just pops up on a Spotify playlist for you. Yeah, I mean, people are used to get things for free now. Music, uh, yeah, it makes it sort of more disposable, I guess. And there's so much out there. Everybody's releasing. There used to be like record labels and you went through it. I mean, it's great that people can do stuff at home and release it and call themselves producers. And But there's so much stuff out there. It's difficult to know what's good. In, in the process of coming through this music and curating it for other people, you, you said you were surprised by some of the music and some of the genres. What, uh, what jumps out at you as being something you wouldn't have thought you would have liked in previous years? I mean, I'm not going to go into names now because there's so much. I mean, if you, every radio show is like almost 30 trucks and we try and find new stuff all the time. So it's almost impossible. But uh, I discovered that the only way or the best way is to be instinctive. And it doesn't matter what genre it is. It's use your instinct, whether you like it or not and whether it's going to work within our radio show, and that's how we choose it. So, And also Colin is like into different style that I wasn't necessarily into, and I like to find 
things that I like within the style that he he appreciate and I didn't and you find you do appreciate it it's just openness it's we all kind of close to certain music and think we don't like it until you kind of ex- open up to it and discover there's good things in almost every style it is nice to know that that you can surprise yourself i think we have a habit of not just musically but you know culture this probably also applies to the news as well but we tend to and we can more than ever before surround ourselves with just the news or just, you know, just the music or just the movies that we want to see. I think it makes people less likely to open themselves up to something new. And it's always, it's exciting to know that like, you know, you, you can have been on this earth for uh, several decades and still like find, find out something new about yourself through a new piece of art. Definitely. Because I think as a musician, you even, often more close to music and you kind of believe in what you do and tend to maybe identify with similar things to what you want to do or might do. And I think it's really important for a person, a creative person, to expose them themselves to much more styles and, and that way develop as a musician. doesn't matter how long you've been going, you can still develop your style your sound also sound is really important to us so we record our radio show in a studio so it's a good kind of setup with good speakers and we get so excited and it affects how we want to put things together and make them sound because we 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 are influenced by the music we love and it's important to be influenced by other people for sure it sounds like to a certain extent this was really a a pandemic project for you but is this something that you think you're going to continue to do indefinitely? Well, we're still going going on with it, definitely. But there is a bit of a struggle when we kind of travel or we have other things. So we try and record sort of in advance and because it's kind of important to us. But I can see it might be a struggle if we're really busy because we take it seriously. So we don't have to do it. We do it totally how we want, you know, it has to be really good and we don't want it to drop it quality. So we'll see. But I know people appreciate we get feedback. We don't know how many people listen. It's impossible. But when we do get feedback, it's really nice feeling that people follow us every week and we give something. Because as a musician, you used to give by doing music, but you can also do it this way, which I never imagined but it is a way of being creative and giving something to people. Do you feel like that's a quality that is pervasive through most of what you do, that if you're going to work on something, if you're going to create a piece of music or anything else that you put out into the world, that you're really going to make sure that you put your entire self into it? Definitely. That's why it's quite hard because the music business is tough and very shallow, I would say. So, you know, it's kind of personal, whatever I do. I feel it's very personal and I do believe in it. And you sometimes feel like there's not much feedback out there. But uh, if you believe in it, you just do it anyway. So, yeah, the believing is the most important bit. I was reading an older interview that you did. And one of the things that surprised me was, was not knowing that being a musician was something that you could do or, or perhaps even early on 
not necessarily thinking of yourself as a musician. And, and it surprises me because, you know, obviously there's a lot said about that first wave of punk and how it almost sort of like democratized access to this music and that, you know, it sort of lowered the barrier of entry. It took a while before you realized that you really could be a musician. It's partly to do with where I came from. That's It's a bit behind, especially at the time. Now with the internet, it's all more equal. But at the time, you know, musicians were a proper musician, if you know what I mean. And I never, I couldn't play instrument very well. Or I started playing the bass, but I didn't play it so well. And I'm kind of a mixture of lazy and I like to be instinctive. So I never invest in technique or anything. I still don't. So when we went to Amsterdam, I was just not a musician, just a bunch of friends. And suddenly I saw people playing. They were not amazing technically, but they had a lot to say. And suddenly it kind of clicked somehow. And I felt like I can do that. So (laughs) it came late because, you know, before that I didn't imagine I could. I was a music fan, but not imagining that I could do it and I still do it in the same spirit. I mean, I don't practice. And it's kind of more instinctive than anything. How did you end up in Amsterdam in the first place? <laughs> Just being bored from where in Tel Aviv. And, uh, you know, we heard it's fun. And in the summer, it's great fun. You know, with lots of people. It's colorful and full of life. As soon as winter hit, it was miserable, miserable. It was hard. <laughs> It was part of being in a band and living in a squat and surviving. It was part of the vibe of doing it in a way. I, not, I, we didn't think about it, but it was part of, it gave power to what we did because we were not the most comfortable to say. But uh, yeah. You had no expectations of moving out there that you would eventually no. become a musician? No. <laughs> it just, when you move from where you grew up, you suddenly, it can open your kind of mind and and open possibilities that you didn't imagine before. So that's what happened. Did you have any concept of what you did want to be? Not really. I used to paint and I love animals, so I thought I'm going to be a vet or something. <laughs> but I never studied to do it. So, yeah. You know, people drift until a certain age. I still do in a way, but that's okay. <laughs> Being a musician allows you to drift. What does drifting mean to you at this point (laughs) in your life? I'm not really drifting, but it it means you you don't commit to sort of a job kind of thing or whatever. Being a musician allows you to sort of, yeah, maybe it's a lack of discipline or whatever, but I'm not saying everybody's the same, but uh, yeah, it allows you to stay in a way like a child. Of some people, I imagine. Colin seems to be fairly disciplined when it comes to music making. Yeah. We balance each other very well in that way because he's definitely disciplined. Yeah. He works all the time, you know. He's always working. And I admire it, you know. I'm, I'm just not very good at the kind of organizing side of it. But yeah, we kind of complete each other because I'm quite instinctive and we work well together when we come to doing creative things. Does that mean that he has to be the person who comes along and says, you know, it's time for a new immersion album or it's time to sort of revisit uh, some of these really older pieces? I'm aware of uh, structure of the business, of when things should come out. And it doesn't quite work like it's time for a new immersion album, but uh, 
he's more aware of release times, you know, and how long it takes to release anything. And, you know, he, he works closely with where he runs, you know, he runs the label. Although it's on both our names, he's really doing the running of it, the technical running of it. So, yeah. <laughs> Did the painting end up taking a back seat when you got serious about music? Yeah. I mean, I take a lot of photos, so it's all the same thing, really. I'm kind of obsessive, so I could probably play every day all the time, and then I would be happy. But it's impossible, so I take photos instead. <laughs> it's like a- an impulse <laughs> to be creative. I don't know how to explain it otherwise. But uh, it's all the same thing, I guess. Painting or photography or music are all creative, but it does it does work a different part of your brain. I mean, I, I you know I find that as a rule that uh, you know I, I, I write most of the time, but I like podcasts and do other things because it variety is important to me. I think if I didn't have other outlets and I wasn't able to do other things, it would just it would drive me crazy. I don't know. I mean, for me, it's kind of instant, so. I play, if I have an instrument, I play it. I don't think about it. And when I take photos, it's the same kind of, it comes before thinking, if you know what I mean. So they are quite similar, (laughs) even though the result is very different. And technically, you have to be in a space to make the music and photography. You have to see things. But it's a similar kind of feeling. One of the things, you know, I'm, always curious about is how how something like photography specifically changes the way you interact with the world and, and your surroundings. Well, I see things all the time. My eyes became like a, something that searches beauty, if I can say that. And my kind of beginning love with photography came from lomography. When I saw how it looks and how it's done, immediately I knew it's for me because they have like 10 rules, which are kind of a joke. Well, it comes from a camera that was manufactured in St. Petersburg in Russia. And it was a compact camera that was done in a factory that makes telescopes and army stuff. And it's kind of compact camera for people. I think it was in the 80s, 70s. I don't know. I'm not good with dates. But anyway, uh, some Austrian students went and bought this camera and discovered it does weird stuff. So it does weird, the lens does special effect. And they kind of uh, started the movement of lomography. (laughs) And the whole lomography thing is, it looks kind of weird and interesting, strange colors, but also it's instant. You don't think about it. You just see and click. And you you photograph weird stuff that uh, most people didn't photograph till then and somehow it's like music yeah you can take pictures immediately before your brain gets engaged so it's not calculated it's very instinctive and it's kind of how i started photography and it's how i see the world i see pictures all the time and i think we're actually facebook friends and you do post things on there from time to time and yeah, it seems to me that one of the primary things that you're interested in is juxtaposition. is is almost a collage and seeing what results when you place two images on top of each other. That's just one of the things. So, it, I mean, it comes also from lomography, which is co- double exposure. 
I mean, originally done with a camera. And we used to even like shoot a film and then send it to another lomographer on the other side of the world, which you never met, and they'll shoot it over it again. And you get like collaboration. I mean, it's one thing we're really into with Colin is collaborating with other people when it comes to music as well. Like we have the nanocluster project, which involves collaborating, creating music almost instantly with people, other musicians and releasing it. So yeah, it's all connects, you see. <laughs> that process specifically takes an incredible amount of patience that I don't think people have anymore to yeah. take a picture and send it across the world and wait for somebody else to take another picture. It's an adventure and sometimes it looks amazing. It's like you suddenly get the other people's world into your image and the layering can be random. So sometimes it works really well. You have to be like set the camera underexpose it. So when they shoot over it again, <laughs> it exposes it again. So if you don't underexpose the original, it's overexposed. You see, that's so technical. I hate technical stuff, but uh, I learned the minimum to know what to do. And some of the swaps, what we used to call it, swap film, were amazing. Uh, yeah. And you do it for no purpose at all. I mean, commercially or any other reason. You do it because you love doing it, which is still the attitude we have for you know, making music or anything. I do think that there is a way that you lose something when you, when you really do start to do something, first as living and, and then as a job. As two professional musicians, how are you able to balance that? It's, it's hard because I do see people that I know and I know their music and I see how they, it's very calculated and you hear it in the music. It kind of loses the magic. <laughs> Because the magic comes from, you know, not thinking about it or being calculated. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, we're fortunate because we, I mean, Colin with Wire and me with Minimal. So there is some income from that and we can be more free maybe doing things that we believe in and not calculated, if you know what I mean. How much of your day-to-day -day life, you know, especially during the pandemic, has been spent playing music? It's hard to say. I mean, we have... Uh, set up at home so it's all mixed so you know not enough I would say <laughs> because I can just play and play and that's what makes me happy so and Colin is more practical so he likes to sort of uh, you can't just feel endless I mean I remember with Minimal Compact my band and we used to entertain ourselves playing music for no purpose but to play music and we used to record stuff that was pretty good. And we record over the same tape again because we ran out of space. So, because it was done for pleasure. And I still have the same attitude, which is not very practical. But, but, uh, yeah, sometimes we, when we have a, a record we work on, it's every day. And sometimes, I mean, Colin works on some wire stuff. I like the idea of, of recording over something on, on tape, you know, and, and I think it's one of those concepts that it, you know, obviously isn't familiar to people who really grew up in the digital age, but there's a scarcity there. And so I, I think that relates back to what we were talking about before about the value. Yeah. 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 And it also relates back to photography. Being a photographer changes when you've got 
a film camera or or you've just got an iPhone on you. I know. I mean, it kind of corrupted me, the iPhone, because I used to shoot a film and then develop it. I mean, now it's hard to get the good film. And also the development is expensive and I can shoot on my, I can take pictures on my phone. And they look as good in some ways, not quite the same. So it, it kind of, I, yeah, I still use my camera, but everything is too easy, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, there's advantage to it, but also you pay some price, I guess. So yeah, but recording over, it's almost like you create something amazing, but you give it up. <laughs> you did it for the moment, which is kind of special, crazy but special. <laughs> was there a turning point for minimal compacts when it felt like suddenly this was something that everybody in the band really was taking seriously? I think we took it seriously from the beginning. Seriously in terms of, you know, of really, oh, this this is this is the thing that we're going to do. You know, th- this is more than just friends kind of jamming around. Like, this is our band. Well, as soon as we had a, a record label, Crump Disc, uh, interested in the release of first record, which was early on, we actually uh, sent them like a something we messed around at home and they they really they decided they want to make a record from that moment it uh, we took it totally seriously and started being a band even though i couldn't play and not everybody in the band were proper musicians but i think in a way when you start to get success that's when it's kind of corrupting a bit and gets in the way yeah we 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 didn't have easy life we lived in squats and in Amsterdam wasn't easy, but uh, the music was the important thing. And then when you start to succeed, I don't know, it starts to pull it apart and people start to think, I want to do this or that, and it's all about me. <laughs> it's I think, happens to every band that succeeds, or almost every band, I imagine. Is that ultimately what happened at Minimal Compacts? Yeah. <laughs> well, I met Colin, so it kind of like, you know, uh, suddenly I I was with another musician, but it shouldn't get in a way, really, but it did. I mean, we started as a small core of three people, and it kind of, uh, when you start to have partners and you start to be successful, so every element pulls it apart somehow. You can't be the same. You start in in an almost pure kind of way, and it's inevitable that it will somehow get, uh, I don't know what the word, corrupted, not really. But, uh, I mean, some people are grown-ups, and they know how to continue um, in a different way. And lots of bands do because they're successful and they want to, it's their main income, but it's never the same, is it? <laughs> From what I understand, the band actually ended up finding a lot of success in, in Israel as well. Is that right? Yeah, in a strange way, after we split up. So we started sort of every now and then doing a reunion there and more and more people came. I mean, two of the musicians who are local there, uh, became very successful as solo artists. But I think the audience we get as minimal is different to theirs, but I'm sure it adds up to the volume of the audience. But it kind of grew and grew. 
in a strange way. So every time we do a reunion, it's, it's kind of hysterical. <laughs> we sell out, we start with two or three gigs. They sell out within days without advertising. And then they keep adding more gigs. So yeah, it's kind of crazy, very intense. It's weird because I'm not used to that kind of size of audience anymore. So when we do it, it's kind of quite emotional and overwhelming. But yeah, great. <laughs> it sounds like part of the maybe the disconnect early on is especially since you started creating this music in a different country as part of a different culture that maybe in the earliest days, Israel just didn't really know what to do with you. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, they were a bit behind in terms of what's in and there was very local I mean, it still is a bit local, to be honest. I mean, they're exposed to a lot of stuff, but the people who are successful there, they kind of, uh, to me, it's a bit local. From not everybody, but yeah. So it it did come in a delay. And we kind of sing it, sang in English. We never aimed at the Israeli market. It wasn't even consideration. You know, we were in Amsterdam. We saw all the cool bands that were happening. And that was our influence and that where we felt we belong. How did the initial decision to to reunite and play again after all those years uh, come together? I think uh, Sami, when it was like certain birthday, he said, oh, I want to do a like a gig for my birthday. And it started as a tradition. So when people, sometimes at, around people's birthday, we did a, so every couple of years, but... Yeah, we forget the birthdays now. We do it when it feels right. But it's not easy. I mean, we were supposed to have a, a something in Europe, like in a tour in Europe, and the pandemic hit and it got cancelled, and then things get in the way and people are busy. So but it might still happen. It sounds like as a group, you were able to find a way to reunite without the pressure, you know, and no expectations if this is just something you're doing every couple of years. Yeah, and without the mess between us, because it got quite messy between us <laughs> in some ways. And then you kind of do your own thing and you grow up and everybody is in their own sort of bubble and you stop kind of judging and you can do it as grown-ups. But it's still got the intensity and magic, and that's important. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I know you're not a nostalgic person. In fact, I saw you say that in, in an interview, but, you know, it is interesting, this process of going back and revisiting yeah. work from a number of years ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, I don't like the word nostalgia. And uh, I get a mixed feeling when I think people see it that way, because uh, for me, it's really important how it feels when we do play and maybe bring something, bring a grown-up version of ourselves and our experience into the new version of how we do it. And I think that works well. Obviously, there's people in the audience who kind of knew it at the time, so they come for them. It's kind of reuniting with something they grew up with, which is okay. <laughs> what was the process of revisiting these these two records. Oh, okay. <laughs> we got to the past, so I'm, we're going to now, okay. The slight, the slightly more recent past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Gliding, it's kind of a product of, I had a live band when we, we played with a live band, I think. I can't, I'm so bad with e what year it was. but uh, And we kind of uh, worked on it and worked in a studio and mixed it. 
So it's a version of kind of live and studio work. And it was always my favorite sounding kind of record of mine. And it only came out digital. And some people showed interest to re- release it on vinyl, but Colin wanted to hold on to it and he wanted us to release it. And somehow now was the time to release it. So it never came out properly before. So that's the gliding side. And then, I mean, Colin is practical, as I told you before, the record label side. And he said, oh, we should put it out as an album because if you put out an a EP or a mini album, I mean, financially, it never pays off. So he said we should do it an album. And, and the hide side, which is sort of uh, something we released and we reworked all the track now. So it's kind of a new version, the other side of gliding. And yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you, you could have just re-released both sides. What was the impulse to go back and, and rework them? I think we felt it didn't sounded a bit of its time. I mean, we have more experience and different idea of sound. I mean, I love the sound of gliding. And I'm very happy with it. I didn't want to touch it. So we left it as it is. But the hide side, we felt it's kind of dated almost. And we wanted to work on it and make it sound more now and to go more better with the gliding side. So that was the reason, really. So 1994. So that that's a long time ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It was kind of period we were into dance music and all that. And yeah. We still are in some ways, of course. That's what tends to, I think, date things more than anything else is drums. Whether, you know, whether it's drum oh, machines God. or how the drums are produced. Not only that, I mean, some of the minimal compact records I can't stand listening to because the snare in the 80s used to be the loudest thing in the mix. And it just completely ruins the whole thing. I mean, how did anybody think it was a good idea? God and how come I didn't have any opinion then to realize how bad it is? I just listened to it, including something Colin, you know, when he produced, when I met him, he produced uh, Raging Soul. Some of the snare is just ridiculous. <laughs> it just, everything is dwarfed. Why would you want to dwarf everything else? I mean, so yeah, <laughs> 80s is definitely a dated period when it comes to sound and how people used to mix things. It's funny, I you know, I actually think about this a lot in terms of Wire specifically because they feel like this band who has made timeless music, maybe except for that period of the eighties when everything was produced. Yeah, I mean, in that when way. I listen to the first three albums of Wire, they sound amazing. They completely stand by themselves. I think in in fifty years as well. It just I don't know how it works those things, but yeah, eighties, yeah. <laughs> It was in, even though I was active with my band in the eighties, it was not a good period when it came to sound, and yeah, there was some weird fashion when it came to sound. <laughs> Did you enjoy the process of of reconnecting and reworking that older record? Ah, uh, definitely, yeah. Although it's kind of hard to know because you know it and you still approach it from kind of a new point of view, so. Yeah, we I enjoyed doing it. I redid all the vocals, so we we completely worked on it. Not only remixing, but reworking. So, yeah, I mean, we used to this process because when my first solo album, which was in Hebrew, we performed it in Tel Aviv a few years ago, and we had to recreate it for the live 
and we kind of got into doing that, which is a fascinating and possible. You want to preserve the kind of quality of it, but able to recreate it. With technology now, you can do that. Uh, for, for, for you, how different is that process of singing in English versus Hebrew? I didn't sing in Hebrew since the first album, so it's almost like when I sing in Hebrew, I go back to my childhood. <laughs> and the music I created was more kind of like childlike almost because of it. It's because the music I used to listen to and the influences from my childhood somehow, so... Yeah, strange. I grew up going to Temple, and it really reminds me of that because we had a cantor, and it's and, and there is something very, very musical about going to services. Right. I, I never liked that style of singing. <laughs> yeah, it's very far from Hebrew <laughs> and Hebrew music in some ways. But yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, I think some of the words are quite naive as well because of kind of where, where I come from. But... I mean, there's new music coming from Israel that's kind of more new generation that's more individualistic and does interesting things. Through the radio show, I discovered that. But, yeah. What does naive mean in this context? Naive, like childlike, uh, you know, simple when it comes to the words in Hebrew. Uh, yeah, I'm not used to, I'm speaking English for years now. And when I go there, of course, I speak Hebrew, but I'm not used to when you have to express yourself in a more sophisticated way. I'm not used to that. So I tend to write more simple, which is fine by me. Actually, I write the same in English. <laughs> more, yeah, not trying to be clever, but more simple. <laughs> so you've continued producing music with minimal compacts over the years. No, we recorded last time together. I don't know quite a long time ago. Uh, yes, we recorded one track. We went in the studio and recorded. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I would just be interested in new stuff. So I would be very happy to do new stuff. But most people are not sure or they don't want to invest that much in, you know, it takes a lot of openness, courage, you know, um, just going for it to write new music together and i don't think many people most of the people are ready for that but i'm i'm always interested in new rather than old that's why hiding and gliding it's like I, i'm happy about it and i'm excited but i'm always rather do new music <laughs> finally coming out of this two-year period of social distancing and you know, a lot of people, I mean, I, I I didn't see my family for essentially two years, but I'm wondering, you know, especially with the, the tours that, that had to be canceled, whether after all of that time away, you know, w whether it's something that, that you and the group would be interested in getting back together and trying again. I'm not sure. It's always like never straightforward, you know. It's possible, but I kind of not look over not look at it as something I'm expecting or wanting because I want to get on with stuff and I, I don't want to rely on other people. And, you know, my partnership with Colin is very fulfilling, if you know what I mean. I mean, artistically. So, but I think a lot of people questioned where they're going, what they're doing because of this period of stopping. You know, a lot of people kind of look and think, well, is this what I want to do or 
what do I care about or what's important. I think it's a big thing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm.